Hi there. So, what does the word blessed mean to you? Is it a religious word, one that means that you have God's favor over you, that things are going well with your life? Or is it a slang word that means life is good, life is really good, I'm blessed, um, is an answer that we often get. Often in Christian circles, it's a word that, that kind of has a lot of meanings to us. But today we're going to investigate what Jesus meant when he said blessed are those. And we're going to introduce a, a new series that we're going to be preaching through for the next month or two called Blessed. As Christians, as Christ followers, what does it mean? What did Jesus mean when he said blessed or blessed, as we would say? Let's turn. Would you turn with me to Matthew 5? We're going to read the first few verses there, I think 12 or so verses together. Let's go there now. Seeing the crowd, he went up to on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemaker, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those, blessed are you, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's God's word. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your word. Lord, this is a, a difficult list for many of us to read. It has things in it that most of us spend our lifetime avoiding. Would you just, as we introduce this series, as we introduce and we, we pray, almost reclaim the word blessed in our language, in our culture, I pray that you would you would use this preach, this sermon, you would use me to, to help liberate, and Holy Spirit, that you would change hearts and you'd open eyes in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus was what was happening here was Jesus has just called his first disciples. They've they've just said yes to the call of Christ. They've seen um, crowds gather around Jesus' ministry and his preaching, just like they earlier saw the fish gathered when Jesus spoke and they caught a, a ton of fish together. And then what happens here is Jesus is beginning his ministry and he's speaking to his disciples clearly and he's trying to set them up for their ministry or for their followership of him. He's trying to explain to his disciples, this is what it's going to look like when you choose to follow me. When you follow me, when you are my disciples. And he's preparing them for what the, his kingdom and the kingdom of God is going to look like. And his desire is that they live in a way that models the kingdom of God for everybody that's watching them. So he's setting um, the, the, the basis for their life and saying, hey, my disciples, blessed are you. And he goes through this list. Now, Jesus is also reminding them earlier on that he's not here to, to go with the status quo. He's not happy to institute the kingdoms of this earth, now he's here to establish a brand new kingdom, his kingdom, that's nothing like this world, a brand new kingdom and a new status quo as it is. And he's preparing his disciples with this. 
And he's reassuring them of their status as blessed ones as they follow him as, as, as disciples. He certainly means, yeah, it's blessed is certainly the, the opposite of woe is to you, or shame on you, or poor you. No, Jesus is in, in, in his words, or in the, in the words of Ray Ortland, um, Jesus is, when he says blessed to him, he's giving them a, like a biblical high five. Well done, congratulations, um, you are doing great, is he is saying to. So every time we read, we read the word blessed in this passage, we could go, you're doing well, well done. Or you could see Jesus, if it's not too sacramental, um, high-fiving his disciples saying, well done, you're doing a great job. But this is in stark contrast of, of what we or what the world would call us to, what the world's message is around being blessed. If you read this list, the very things that Jesus blesses in this passage are the very, very things that most of us, and especially those who don't follow Christ, do everything in our powers to avoid and stay away from. The world promises the good life. Um, my friends in America will call it the American dream. In America, they've even constituted it in, into the Declaration of Independence that, um, that it's your right as a human being to pursue happiness. The pursuit of happiness is enshrined in their constitution. It is, it is your right to pursue happiness. Even for us South Africans, we have an African dream. Um, the song reminds us of that. And the, the dream of South Africans, what does that look like? Whereas, and the world promises us that we can have this dream, and it's encouraging us to pursue this dream. Keller um, describes the good life in four ways um, as we pursue, pursue happiness. He says we pursue it in four different ways. We pursue it through our wealth. And, and once we're wealthy, we, we're not only controlling our own destinies, we get to even control those around us and those who either are beneath us or ahead of us. But wealth creates the, the idea that I'm my own boss. I decide where I live, how I live, etc. It promises us the best life or we pursue the full life, the, a, a life where I eat in the best restaurants, I drive the best cars, my, my, I, drive in a, in a, I live in a, an amazing house and I live in the best city in the world, etc. I'm sorry, Cape Town friends. And it gives us a sense of, of comfort that we are comfortable. We, we, we do what we do when we want to do, etc., um, etc. Et we get to laugh and gloat. And the laughing word here is more gloating. It's more bragging, like, I'm winning at life. Look at me. I'm winning. And social media, certainly, um, we don't need to look far to see in social media just this idea of we're winning and who's winning in the race. Keeping up with the Joneses um, or the Glaminis for my friends down the road. And we pursue success. We want to be seen as successful. We want people to speak well of us. We want our reputation to be growing and to be admired by people. We want to be the popular ones. We want to be the ones, the special ones, um, the, the, the ones that, are, that have succeeded at this thing called life. And we live in the approval of people. And Keller says, when we have wealth and we live the full life, we're succeeding and we are laughing or gloating. We've, we've arrived. The world says, then you have arrived. Then you are, in, in the world's terms, you are blessed. And we get the message from the kingdom of this world to say, give up on Jesus. This is better. Give up on Jesus. Jesus is not going to offer you that. And rightly so, if you read scripture, it doesn't offer you that. But it says, find your joy, your happiness, your contentment. Find it in your wealth, your health, and your success, or your, your ever-improving life. Life that just gets better and better and better. And the world encourages us. And there's a reason why when, we, when, when our health suffers or our wealth runs out or 
Our jobs aren't growing or our careers aren't succeeding. Why our inner beings fall apart as human beings? Even as Christ followers, one of the saddest things for me as a pastor is to see um, Christ followers whose, whose identity and their comfort and their, their, their trust should be completely in Christ. How, how, how we suffer and our inner worlds crumble when our, our physical wealth and our physical health suffer. Sadly, it's not only the message of the world. We also find churches preaching this very same message. It's completely a different message to what we would call the gospel message that we proclaim. It's actually, I've even got a name for it. It's called the prosperity gospel. A message that knits our hearts to this world. And also it it comforts us in this world. Not to eternity, not to our Savior's heart. No, there's a... There's a message even preached in churches today that, that seeks to, 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 to knit our hearts to this world, to, to find our joy in the things that this world physically and in money and in success offers to us as human beings. What's even more disturbing for me is that, that lately there's, I've, I've noticed a trend with, with some of the pastors that would preach this of almost being um, unapologetic, almost like in your face, and calling themselves prosperity preachers and say, I am a prosperity preacher. Um, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you think of me. But we're going to preach prosperity until the day we die. And it scares me that in the church we are exposed to these things. And But actually stand proud and proclaim these things. And the arrogance that they find and the confidence in that they that they find. And the people that that worship there and would be would find their, their security in that. Um, for me, honor just and and as one of the elders at, at every day, it scares me that churches would be so in your face with this. This is no surprise surprise to us though, because in the New Testament it warns us of this and that this is going to be happening in the church. Even in the early days, straight the first 30, 40, 50 years after Christ, this was already happening. This is not a new prosperity teaching or the prosperity gospel isn't a new teaching. It's not it's, it didn't come up with a, with a certain um, preacher in the 60s or 70s. No, 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 this is, this is some ancient stuff. Look at Paul's warning to young Timothy. In, Timoth- in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 to 4, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine or sound teaching. He's referring to the teaching of the gospel, God's word, as it is. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. He's saying that, that the time's coming when people will look for preachers who will teach and preach, even churches, that will give them what they want, the sign of heaven. That will promise that they could have the, the health and the wealth and the success that they so desire in their, in, their, in their flesh in some ways. And will turn away from listening to the truth, which is the gospel, and wander off into myths, into, into um, superstitions, etc. Paul's warning this. The message um, Bible... Um, Paraphrase says it like this. You're going to find that there will be a time when people will know, will have no stomach for solid teaching or just the word and the gospel, but will fill up on spiritual junk food. Just give me enough for today. Um, I just want to eat it now. Make me feel happy. Make me feel better. Make me feel successful right now in the moment. Catchy opinions that tickle their fancy. They'll turn their backs on truth and chase mirages. Things that we think is there, but it's not really, really real. But you keep your eye on what you're doing. Accept the hard times along with the good. Keep the message alive. 
Do, do a thorough job of as God's servant. What an encouragement to Timothy. And this encouragement is for us to keep our eyes on the gospel, not to be persuaded by just the passions of people or the passions of this world. And this is a real threat. Paul is writing to Timothy because this is an incredible threat to the gospel. It's a, it's a, it's a threat to the, the mission of Christ. It's a threat to the, the saltiness and the lightness of the church. He's saying if, if, we, if we pursue these things as the church, we lose our saltiness, our effectiveness. We no longer will preserve. We will no longer uh, flavor this world. We will lose that. And as light, we will, we will no longer be a light for the world when they are lost. When, when their wealth and their health and their success run out, they won't have a place to come to. They won't have a church or a, a, a Christian or a Christ follower to guide them any longer. Those things will, will no longer be. And Paul is concerned for the church, even in those days. What does this other message proclaim? And I've tried to put it in my own words. I, I try to just, from my experience in East London, um, in our city, um, um, and, and I suppose a bit of it is on social media when I see what people are sharing, etc. These are like my, my best few lines on what I think this, this other gospel proclaims. Number one, I would say your health, wealth, and your always improving life is a sign of God's blessing and approval of your life and your faith. So if your life is right and you have enough faith, wealth, health, and prosperity, and an always improving life is God's guarantee for you. Or to put it in another way, all, all we need to do is have enough faith. I'm sure you've heard that. Put, put a name on it, on your wants and your desires, and lay claim to it in the name of Jesus. Maybe you've heard that. Or God is, no, God is nothing more than just a genie in a bottle. If we say the right prayers, if we say the right, um, if we name the right things, if we if we quote the right scriptures, God almost has no choice but to give us the desires of our heart, the things that we want. Oh, you've all seen this. Type Amen to this prayer, to this promise, and God will answer you. I, 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 it is complete superstition. How that happens when I see it. My heart as a pastor just crumbles that, that people would think that this is how Christ, how God, how the Spirit operates, how He responds to us. And then lastly, um, in this teaching, suffering and going without is a, is a big no-no. We don't suffer. If we suffer, we just need more faith. And if we're suffering, it's quite a cruel um, theology, if you want to call it that, because if I'm suffering, it has to do with I don't have enough faith or I have done something wrong where God is not upset or God is not, he is withholding his blessing from me because I have not impressed him with my faith or I've not impressed him with my works or my deeds. You see, wealth, health and success and prosperity aren't evil things. They can serve the gospel in amazing ways. We need money to do the gospel work. We need money to send missionaries. We need money to plant churches. We, we need money to change our cities. We need to be healthy. If I wasn't healthy right now, I would not be able to preach. I wouldn't be able to speak to you. I wouldn't be able to, 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 to hopefully convince you to trust Jesus and what he says about what a blessed life in his opinion, in his, not in his opinion, in his authority looks like. But there's a big but here. But when we look to these things for our ultimate comfort, our deepest consolation, when we find our comfort in our wealth, and the opposite is true, when we find our discomfort or we find our, 
our depression because we don't have enough money, or we find our, our, our anxiety because we are not healthy, and we don't find our security in Christ. What we've done is, in the New Testament, Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit, he gives him a name called the paraclete, or the, the comforter, the comforter. And the idea is, as Christ follows it, we would find our comfort in the Word of God, in the truth of God, but not just in the Word and knowledge, but actually experience the comfort of Christ through the Holy Spirit, the great comforter. And now you can see, when we start finding our comfort as Christ followers, and as, and as believers in, in wealth, in our ever-improving life, our success, do people like us, etc., etc. What an insult, what a smack in the face of the, of the Holy Spirit is as, as he's God, it speaks of God as a jealous God. He said he wants to be our greatest comfort, not our money, not our health, not our position, not our success, not our popularity. No, Christ says, I want to be your greatest comfort. Jesus wants to be our everything. Now, I thought of an illustration, and I wanted to I wrestle because when I, when I, when I see what, what this other gospel does and what the prosperity gospel does to well-meaning, good Christian folk, when I see what it does to believers, young and old, it, my heart rips because I, I know that in this world we will experience the things that Jesus just spoke of. And in that experience of that, we would, that Jesus would still say, you are blessed. He's not withholding blessing. But there's a, a theology that teaches that when those things happen, we do that. And so there was a wrestle in my heart between, do I go like just angry and fight and shout and get mad at this, this thing that is causing so much pain in the life of the church and believers? Or do I go so, soft and I, I go a little bit soft and diplomatic and try not to offend anybody? And so I've gone a bit both. And so the illustration that kept coming to my mind is this, and I'm a fisherman is the idea of a, a hook with a barb. And so I've got a bit of a, a hook here, a serious hook. But I've, I've got a big one because I want to show you just not because, yes, this prosperity gospel is incredibly serious and is an incredible threat to the gospel and to the gospel of Christ and certainly the gospel that Christ asked us to and Paul encouraged us to defend. But why I chose the hook is because as the prosperity gospel, just because we are all Human beings, we're not fully transformed yet. We we all have a longing for the stuff. We like the stuff of this world. We love to be successful. We enjoy those things. Even now, as Christ follows, as we are busy being transformed, these things still have a, a hook in us. But why I've chosen this hook, and I hope you can see it on the video, is it not it's not just a simple hook. It's actually this is called a barb. And the idea with a barb is that once it's in, it's incredibly Hard to pull out. It's actually meant to, to hook in and then stay in. And I, th and I thought of this as an illustration. And I'll put the hook away now. And I thought of this as an illustration because in, this, in a very significant way, this is for me what the prosperity gospel does in the hearts of very well-meaning people. It gets in easily because it promises the things we really like. But then to, I found just in my own pastoral ministry how hard... And how difficult it is to get that gospel or that view of the gospel out of well-meaning, innocent people who have just been taught by really, really poor teachers and false teachers, if, we, if you're going to ask me just honestly about this thing. So how do you get a barbed hook if it was stuck, if this hook, for instance, was, was stuck in my shoulder? Please, Lord, may that never happen because I, I've had a small hook in my, in my finger and it's painful enough. 
But if this was stuck in Arno, how would I get it out? I would say to you, you'd have to be careful, but you're not going to get this out without some pain and without the right tools. And Jesus gives us that as believers in this in Matthew. And as we look through the next 10 or 12 weeks or so, I'm praying that God is going to help you and I, and he's going to give us the tools to, to, to get that, that hook out of us. We've all got it in us. We don't need a prosperity gospel to desire the things of this world. You and I just need to be born into this world to want and desire wealth and prosperity and health and popularity. It's just in our flesh. But Christ promises us and frees us from that. So let's see how Jesus does that and how he helps us with this. We go to Jesus. And Jesus, the great shepherd and pastor, shows us how to remove this hook. He's teaching his disciples, don't knit your heart too tightly to this world. Loosen your grip. Loosen your grip on this world. Let go of the things, the very things that this world promises you to make you happy, to find joy and security in. And he calls him to not the, not the good life, but he calls him to a costly and a, and a hard life if you read this list. Like I said earlier, most of us will do everything we can to avoid that list that we just read, that Jesus read and taught to his disciples. And Jesus teaches this, and he says, you will experience poverty where you will be weak and powerless. You will experience hunger where you're desperate for food and for, for, for and you will, you'll, you will not be satisfied. You will feel weak if you follow me. You will have days you will go through weakness where you experience loss. And then he says you'll also be hated. You'll be excluded. You'll be shunned. You'll be rejected, mocked. In our today's language, you'll be cancelled. You'll be ignored. You'll just be cancelled and, and written off. Jesus is describing a people who will often lack power, will often lack satisfaction in this world and earthly things, and will often lack achievement. Might not always be the A student or the top of the class. And people that might even lack popularity. And many of these things that people that follow Christ will lack will be because of their faith in Christ, because of their followership of Jesus. He describes People without, those without, those not willing to trade following him for following the world and prosperity. But those are saying yes to him. Who wants to join a kingdom like this? Can you just imagine the crowd? No wonder when Jesus started preaching and stopped performing miracles, the crowd left and he only got left with 12. As soon as he started talking about picking up your cross and eat of me and the cost of following him, the crowd left and he was left with a, a small group of disciples. It's easier to say yes to a God, isn't it? I say yes anybody. An unbeliever would say yes to a God that promises them bigger houses, bigger cars, and never to get sick again, always a promotion waiting for you down there. Just, just name it, claim it, it's going to be yours. We, it's easy. Jesus is not urging us to seek these things. He's not urging us to seek poverty or, 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 or brokenness. He's not asking us to seek being hated. He's not saying, go and make yourself hated. Go and make yourself unpopular. Go hungry, honor. He's not calling us to those things. He's not saying, hey, seek these things. He's saying that the world, if you live in this world, these things actually will find you. You don't have to go looking for these things. No matter who you are in this world, you will experience all these things. Weakness, hunger, hatred, exclusion, um, weakness. He's, you Just living in this world, we can experience those things. 
And in the midst of it, he's saying, when you experience these things, consider yourself blessed. Not cursed, blessed. Why? Because they feed our love and our grip on this world. And they open our hearts to him and receiving his spirit and everything that he has. And when they come, when they come, we don't we do not waste these moments. We don't he turns curses into blessing. He curse he turns Jesus, God turns death into life. That's what he does. But we don't avoid these things. J.K. Rowling at his Harvard address said coined a phrase called the fringe benefits of failure. There's benefits to to weakness. There are benefits to being broken. There's, the kingdom of God is often lessons out of brokenness for us. As Christ follows, we, we know, if you're a mature believer, you know that often the, the most significant growth in your life has happened through moments of dark, dark darkness or brokenness or poverty or, or illness, etc. in your life. And it says that the weak will inherit the kingdom of God. The hungry will be filled with them. The weeping will turn to laughter and joy. In Revelations, it says the weeping, every tear will be wiped away. The hated will inherit the, a great reward, which is Christ. He brings everything, grace upon grace upon grace, comes with Christ. Jesus is assuring his disciples, just because you're experiencing these things does not necessarily mean that you're cursed. He actually does the opposite. He blesses them through the pain, through those things that they experience. And, and, and we come and I come empty and poor and broken before Jesus. That's how all of us have come before Christ. And it's, it's important just as we go through this series, just two things to mention, two errors that we, we can easily find an in interpretation of these Beatitudes or be attitudes, as some of the scholars would write. First is not, first, it is not a description of the requirements of entering the kingdom of God. What Jesus is showing us here is not you need to be all these things to enter the kingdom of God. No, he's saying, when you experience these things, I'm blessing you and I still bless you. My blessing is not removed from you. And secondly, he is not, is, this is not an idealistic description of the way that eternity, Jesus is not describing heaven here. Heaven in many of these things is the opposite of this list. So this is not a description of eternity or the values of the kingdom of God. But this is what's happening in a world that we're living in that's not fully transformed into the likeness of Christ. You and I, certainly as people, we haven't been transformed. But also this world is not the world that we promised. This is not heaven. This is not eternity yet. Rather, these teachings describe to followers of Jesus as they try and be faithful to him and to the values of God's kingdom in this world. Following Jesus looks and is different to following the pursuit of of happiness. And Jesus wants to make sure that his disciples, in their excitement of, wow, Jesus gathering crowds, this thing's amazing, he pauses and he almost slows them down and says, hey, these things are coming and I want you to know when they come, you are blessed. I am blessing you. I'm high-fiving you. I'm saying, well done. Don't give in because of what you're experiencing. We are the loving ambassadors of God on this planet. In a foreign land, Scripture calls us foreigners, um, sojourners, aliens in a foreign land. We, why? Because our passions, our desires, the things that we pursue is not just earthly happiness. We actually pursue Christ. We pursue His holiness. We, we pursue loving Him and loving others with everything we have. In short, what this shows us, is it only a heart that's been melted by Jesus, by the, by the gospel, 
only a heart that's completely been transformed by Christ will even desire to pursue Christ over wealth and prosperity and success and the approval of man. You see, we don't, we don't need anything to happen for us to pursue these things, but for us to change our allegiance, our heart's allegiance to Christ, we need the gospel. We need Christ and we need the power of the gospel. We need the Holy Spirit to do the most radical transformation, melt our hearts, mold our hearts into something brand new. People that are brand new, a new creation. We need to be born again with new, um, new, new, new loves, with, 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 with a new appetite for Christ and for Him. That hearing His words, honor you are blessed, is enough during times of pain and suffering. This is radical. This is following Jesus. Jesus really is enough, more than enough for you and I. And I trust that as we, as we go through this, this, this next series, that God is going to free us. He's going to loosen our grip. He's going to, he's going to tie and knit our hearts towards Him and eternity and, and Jesus as our Savior. And our appetite for things of this world will, will, will grow dim. Um, and our, our heart towards Him will grow stronger and brighter. Can I pray for us? Jesus, we, we thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the assurance of your blessedness over our lives. Thank you that you are you bless us despite us mourning, despite us being poor, despite us being shunned, despite us failing, despite that your blessing is not reserved for the perfect and for the strong and for those with, with strong faith muscles. No, your blessing is for all of us, for the weak, for the broken. And Lord, I pray that over the next months that you would strengthen us as a church, as a people. You would strengthen our faith. Lord, that you would, we want to give you permission, not that you need it, but in our hearts we want to submit to you and say, Lord, loosen our grip on this, on this world and its affections. Loosen our, um, um, help remove that hook of the prosperity gospel if it's, if it's got into our hearts and to our spirits. Pray that you would carefully with the gospel and grace and the Holy Spirit, would you remove the hook of the prosperity gospel that's got into our thinking, into the way we think of you, God. We re repent of those things. We, we ask that you would free us and you would show us the love and the blessing that we find and we can only find in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.